Welcome to the Andy Griffin Show. With your chance to be heard, give your opinion, bash on the liberals, even make fun of the wacky left. It's on. It's now. It's here. It's the Andy Griffin Show on News Radio 890, 94.9, KDXU, Southern Utah's news talk leader. You can always tell it's the first time someone's heard that intro. Zach, Zach got a pretty excited look on his face. And Zach Renster with me today. This is the Andy Griffin Show. I'm Andy Griffin. Zach, thanks, thanks for coming, man. Sure. Thanks for the good laugh. Good to see you. Yes. Wow. We, it was good. We, we aim to entertain as well as inform here on KDX. So Kathy, or Carrie is here too, but she won't let us turn her microphone on. So <laughs> she's just going to wave and smile. She's really good at those things. Yeah. But uh, yeah, thanks for coming, Carrie, and keeping an eye on us so we don't do anything stupid. <laughs> We're going to anyway, probably. But <laughs> anyway, Zach, man, it's, uh, I mean, we've been talking about this. Uh, you come on once a month. Uh, mm-hmm. Every time you're on, we talk about, well, the drought is here and the drought is here and then drought. Is, and now the drought is where it's never been before. I mean, this is, we're, we're setting records, Zach. Yeah, we, we are. So, um, and we kind of had this discussion before we came on the air, um, we have really good written records, essentially, for over about 150 years here now in the county. And right now, uh, we're the driest it's ever been. Ever. Ever. And, you know... So, as, so not since 1980 or not since 1964, but ever. Well, since recorded history. Right, right. Well, we don't have the 1400s, right? <laughs> exactly. Okay. Um, but those early Mormon pioneers kept good records. Um, and then when we actually, when they started developing a scientific method of actually measuring the river, so the Virgin River specifically, they started putting gauges on the Virgin River around, the, like about 1905, 1906. And so when we look at that hardcore data, mm-hmm. and then we compare it to our, our current existing water year, we are actually lower than it's ever been before. Ever. There's that word again, ever. Yeah. It's, it's dry. And, and anecdotally, if you go and you talk to some of the old farmers that mm-hmm. have been farming, let's say, on the, the Arizona Strip or the mountains around here, uh, they will also say the same thing. Certain springs that have that have always been flowing, they're starting to dry up or reduce. And so also people, especially the old-time farmers, they're seeing it also about how dry this, it is out there right now. So old Ron Thompson comes on and he says, hey, I got this guy who's going to take my <laughs> take over my job. His name is Zach. Uh, here we go, Zach. Oh, uh, you're the water czar here in southern uh-huh. Utah. Oh, by the way, we're not going to have any water, just, just so you know, Zach. You know, I, I got to say, though, I got to give a lot of credit to Ron because a lot of people come to me and say, well, I, I have water in my taps. You know, people are actually worried to that level. It's, it's true. And, and because the infrastructure that was created or built during the time Ron was in charge, um, everybody will have safe, reliable drinking water this year. And not only this year, let's say we have another really bad year. We will have safe drinking water next year, too, even if, we, if this drought continues. And, and a lot of it is because we, we spent, I should say we, the, the, the people that were living here at the time, they spent the money to build very, very large infrastructure projects to account for drought scenarios. Mm. So we, we actually owe you know, those individuals in the 80s a lot of gratitude for what they helped develop so we have safe drinking water even during a drought scenario. So everyone wants to talk to Zach right now about this drought, but Zach really, uh, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you're actually worried about that drought that's going to happen in 2047 or 2031 or whatever. Yeah, there's a drought right now, but we're prepared for this drought. It's the drought coming in the future with the population growth that really probably makes you maybe lose a little bit of sleep at night. I, I do lose sleep right now, um, and you're exactly right. So, of course, we're, we are planning on a hard, dry environment. Now, if that doesn't happen, great. We'll have more water, and our reservoirs will be a little bit for, 
uh, have more water in it. But but we we're kind of pessimistic that we we've kind of planned for the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you have to. That's yeah, your job. Right? Yeah. Like for example, we kind of plan for our system right now that uh, it'll be you know July fifteenth. Everybody's waking up. Everybody's taking showers. Sprinklers are coming on, and then there's a big fire. And and we design our system to make sure that the water's there. Mm-hmm. The same thing with drought. We we plan kind of in the negative aspect, and of course hope for the worst. So we, we have this, this model that's saying, okay, we're kind of planning for a hotter, drier climate. And then you, you throw on a couple hundred thousand extra people in the community, and it makes it a little bit more difficult. Yes, it does. Yeah. Yes, it does. Um, all right, let's talk about There were a couple of things I wanted to talk about. Uh, one of them is drought levels. And we have, uh, there, there's all these classifications. And, you know, every, every group I work with, whether it's the fire department or the police department or the city, whoever it is, they have these different categories of things that they they to help clarify where we are we even had the covid level you know level red level green level (laughs) orange whatever uh drought has its own uh, different classifications can you explain those to us and then we'll talk about where we are which is not a good spot yeah so there's they do it in two ways first of all by color classification and and so they have yellow and orange and then red and then darker red and really red (laughs) and and then they have certain things so we're at the worst category so we're in the darkest of darkest red and and it's called exceptional exceptional which is not a good kind of exceptional yeah that's kind of like a a class five hurricane i guess Mm. but in that way it's it's we're really dry and and when you look at the map of of the united states and the western united states and you see where it's the reddest of the red we're kind of the right in the center of the red of the red oh boy so uh at this point, okay, is it something we saw coming? And you talked about Ron and how we have yeah. the infrastructure to prepare it. Uh, but could we have seen the worst drought ever? Could we have seen that coming? We we had some indications coming. So so first of all, uh, we do water years kind of different. We actually start on October 1st for water years. And so when we went into this water year on October 1st, uh, we were starting to see measurements um, that we've never seen before. So up above Zions National Park or above Pine Valley Mountain, we have these these very sophisticated sensors. And one of the things they measure is the moisture in the soil. And starting on October 1st, uh, the, the measurements were coming out lower than they've ever been. So now, just eight months ago. Just eight months ago. So okay. we knew we came into this winter, this water year very, very dry. And so, of course, we, we always hope that you're going to get a really nice wet winter with lots of snow. And, and, and we simply just didn't get that. And right. so we, we, did get, we did get snow, there's no question about that. But what happened this year is when that snow melt, the soils just instantly sucked it up and in the vegetation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we essentially had no runoff in the Virgin River this year, and, and the gauges showed that. And so we knew on October 1st we were in a very dry, we didn't have a monsoon season last summer. Um, we knew on October 1st that was very, very dry. And, and so we started making changes to our system and, and how we store water in anticipation of that. Um, and, of course, we were hoping, but we, we planned for the worst, and it was good because now our reservoirs, I mean, right now, Quell and Sand Hollow Reservoir is about 75%. Full. Really? Yeah. Despite all, everything, we're still at 75%. Yeah, and, and p- part of that is because of the active, well, because the infrastructure was built years and years ago, but then it's basically uh, based on the operation change that the Water District made uh, as early as last year to, to start to accommodate that. What about, uh, say, your various water tanks? I live in Middleton. There's a tank just up above me there. Is, are those tanks full, too, or, or yes. mostly full? Yeah. Th- th- the cities like to keep those tanks always about—those fluctuate a lot. So oh, 
Yeah, they'll go from 90% full to 30% full within one day. And, and so they, oh, really? Wow. And, and they're designed to do that. Like, that's what they're supposed to do to equalize out the pressures in the system. And so a local individual water tank, lots of fluctuations. So we really don't use those. We really use the reservoir levels as kind of the key to, to how we're going to do things. Okay, let's uh, not literally but figuratively drill down a little bit uh, mm-hmm. uh, about this uh, about this water. There are other people in this town, some of them are radio hosts on other stations, who say, well, we're not in a drought at all. There's no drought. The drought <laughs> is fictitious. All we have to do is drill deeper or find the aquifers or whatever. Uh, and to me, it sounds like a bunch of hogwash from a conspiracy theorist. But I want to talk to the guy who knows more about <laughs> water than anybody else in this town. His name is Zach. Zach, uh, explain all this to me. Sure. So, so if you, first of all, if you talk to the old time, like if you just go out and talk, to, just go talk to a farmer and mm-hmm. ask him what he thinks about this water year. So I think they're, you know, don't trust me, go talk to a good old farmer. And, and they're saying the same thing. They've never seen this so dry. So the concept of drilling down for water. So first of all, we have hundreds of wells, drinking wells in this county. The, the water district, we're actually planning to drill uh, two or three more wells this year. Okay. And so we actively use wells. Wells are a key aspect of our water systems, and we, and we do use them quite a bit. So the question, what we like to do with those wells is, is there's a natural recharge that goes in. So when snow melts, it percolates into the ground, and then it flows in. And so what we try to do is find a, a level there. We can take the water out without literally mining the, the water table. And the, and the reason why is, is, first of all, if you, you mine it, then it's gone. It's not a resource anymore. But you can also have subsidence problems. And they've actually seen that. So up by Burl, uh, they've mm-hmm. actually had the ground actually drop. Up by Cedar City, they've had fissures like open a, up. because like a little, uh, what do they call it, a sinkhole or whatever type thing? They're not so much sinkholes, but what will happen, the ground will start settling. And so all of a sudden, you'll have homes that were built on that, and they, they have problems there. And so we, we try to monitor that. And so the question is, is can you drill really deep? And, and what happens if you drill really deep? So first of all, to drill really deep is really expensive. But, but we've actually have done that in our county Okay. Um, there was actually a couple of old oil wells that were drilled in our county that went quite deep. And then there has been a couple of drinking wells that have gone quite deep. And, and it will vary a little bit from area to area. But if you, if you go look at those old oil well logs, is, is first of all, what happened, and, and this is very typical when you drill deep, is, is a couple things happen. Is There is some water that's deep. But when you drill deep, the water quality becomes much more mineralized, meaning it has a lot more salts, it has a lot more other nasty things that you have to bring up to the top, and then you have to send it through a reverse osmosis plant. And so, so it is very, very expensive, expensive okay. water. Uh, number two is that if you go down deep and drill and, and you start pumping that water, well, what happens is the water that's a little bit higher elevation starts seeping down into those areas. And so you start mining your aquifer again. And then the other thing is, and this is a fancy word we like, the transmissivity of the rock. And, and the that's, tra- say it again. Transmissivity. Transmissivity. It's, okay. It's a, it's a fancy word for how water flows through rock. And, and basically what it's based upon is, is how much air is in a rock. So if, if you took a piece of sandstone, you cut it open, you looked at a microscope, you would actually see little openings uh, in the rock. Okay. And that's where the water kind of flows. Well, as the deeper you get the rock has less of those little openings because of the pressure of the rock above it closes it off. So the water has a lot harder time flowing to those areas. And, and so, so you don't actually get the, the quality of wa- the quantity of water. So you have a, a, a real big quality issue. You have a quantity issue, and then there's huge amounts of cost. And, and then you can go drill a $5 million well, and it'll come up dry. And, and that's actually happened. So um, I'll use an example out in Hilda. Hilda went out. They... 
this was several years ago, they, they drilled down 3,000 feet, which is a very, very deep drinking well. That's more than half a mile, folks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they got down there deep, um, and they did find some water, but they found that the quality of the water was very poor, and it also be extremely expensive to the point that they said it's not economically feasible to, to do anything with that well, and, and they, they capped it. Hmm. Um, we're unique here because of the old oil well logs. Some of that showed some stuff going on, and so we were able to get some good data uh, about that too. So it's one of those things that I'm always trying to learn, and I, I never want to give up learning. So I'm always interested in this science. And, and there's a lot of voodoo science portion of it that's going on, but there also is a lot of good science that's going on. And so if somebody could come to me and say, we're going to drill a well right here, we're going to drill really deep, and we're going to find all this water, uh, I'd say, you go drill the well, you put your dollar on the line, you get the water rights, and then I'd be happy to purchase the water from you. Hmm. But for Weiss, when spending taxpayers' dollars on a on something that is extremely risky, has could have lots of other issues on it with costs, um, from an engineering standpoint, I think the risk is way outrageous. And, and Southern Nevada Water Authority has drilled some really deep wells, and they came up dry. Hmm. So, so I, you know, people are arguing, well, that that would still be cheaper than a, a pipeline from you know from from Lake Powell. So when we when the, when the engineers look at it, it's, that's not a true statement. So Lake Powell okay. water is is first of all it's it's a known quantity. There's water there. I mean, it's, the lake's lower, but I you know I was out there a couple of weeks ago, and there's definitely water there. Okay. Utah has the water rights there. We know it's a very very high quality water, and right. it's very reliable. Don't have to spend a bunch of money to make it drinkable. No, in fact, Lake Powell water is extremely easy and cheap to treat for drinking water. Okay. I mean, we already have a plant that we can send it through and stuff like that, and. The big thing is, is, is go and spend, you know, $5 million. You, you drill 10 of those, and that's $50 million. And if I went and spent $50 million and didn't produce one drop of water, oh boy, I'd get lynched. You'd, you'd, <laughs> you'd be looking for a new job, Zach. I, I probably would. But, <laughs> but it is interesting. I mean, I, I really enjoy it and learning and, and, and talking to it. And, uh, it, and, and like I said, we, we have drilled some really deep wells in this county. Um, even out in the western desert out there by Beaver Dam Wash, there's a, they, those earlier people were looking for gold out there. They drilled some deep wells out there, and, and they came up dry for the most part, too. It, it kind of boggles the mind to think about how deep uh, you were talking about, uh, 3,000 feet down. Yeah. I mean, uh, think about how high 3,000 feet up is, okay? Yeah. Then, and then you turn that around and go the other direction, or even 3,000 feet over. We're talking, again, more than a half a mile, yeah. and you're going straight down through a lot of it is rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, the fact that we have that technology is great, but you're right to spend all that money and then to find out, well, there's a little bit of water and it's full of bad stuff. Yeah. That's, that's not feasible. It's not smart. And I, I will always continue to, I, I will never give up looking at it and, and studying it and uh, it would be nice. It'd make my, Hey, if I could just go drill a well, my yeah. life would be so much easier. Well, and, and the funny thing is people have come to me with this idea and they say, well, you know, why didn't they think of that? And I'm like, I'm pretty sure Zach and, and his engineers and his folks over at the water district did think of that. And they thought long and hard about that. And it's, uh, you know, and, and then they made a decision based on the, the uh, data, you know, or data, depending on where you're from, <laughs> uh, and, 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 and made the, what decision they felt would be best. And so there, there's, there's still people out there, Zach, a lot of people who think Lake Powell Pipeline is a huge waste of money and a mm-hmm. huge mistake. But uh, from everything that you've, you've told me and from the things I've studied, it seems like to me it's still the best answer. 
right now for the growth? For the growth, it is. And, and it, it would give us, our county, the most reliable water source, especially if you add in drought planning into that, um, for the, the people that we're expecting in our community. Okay, I wanted to talk a little bit about causation and what, what's going on right now. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Seth has been very patient. So we're oh, gonna let, I haven't we're talked gonna to let, Seth for a while. We're going to let Seth weigh in. Seth and Zach, uh, you guys, uh, let me introduce you to each other. It's been a while. Uh, no, Seth, this Seth. is Zach. Zach, this is He's Seth. He's a good guy. <laughs> I can hardly believe I've been introduced to the czar <laughs> of water since yeah. uh, my family is uh, from Russia and, and Ukraine. So we're, we we got pretty good experience from czars. Uh, <laughs> is that the CZ or TS kind of czar? Yeah. Well, let's do them both. Okay. Let's mix All them right. up and confuse them because the English language is a mess, you know? <laughs> it sure is. So... Uh, I want to ask Zach a, a, a really important question. I'd like him to use his executive powers <laughs> and grant me a czar commission. And here's what I'd like to do. I have determined at least Robert Gray and the people who've lived up here all their life say that the fence that you put up on the highway to Pine Valley is like 40 or 50 feet of uh, space there based on the old fence line and the highway and I'd like to put up a sea cargo container and it's 20 feet and it's 8 by 8 and I have big doors on it and I can sell pies and, and I can sell bread and I can leave it there 24-7 so I don't have to set my tents up and do all that silly kind of stuff and just sort of open up a retail business on your property. Um, could you give me a blessing, sir, and, and just grant me um, a place to operate a full-time business on your property, please? <laughs> so, Seth, that's, it's not that easy. Um, and, and let me explain why. And so, so I should explain what's going on up in Central. So several years ago, Central Water System up there was having some issues. Um, one of them was dealing with the wellhead protection zone around some drinking wells up there. And so the water district went up there and purchased some land up there to protect the water quality around those drinking wells. And so we kind of watched that ground very closely to make sure that we're keeping those drinking wells safe. So, so since we're a public entity, I can't just give anybody an option to say, here, use the district property for a business activity. So if you, if you really would like to do this, what we do as a water district, is if somebody comes to us with a proposal to do a business and, and we, we, we determine that is something that's feasible on that piece of ground, we actually have to put it out for a bid. And so we'll go out for a request for a proposal saying, this little corner, we're going to open it up for a business and we will just take bids from anybody in anyone that wants to open a business there and give us your best offer. And so when the proposals come in, we, we simply just take the, the highest offer and then they can proceed with that. So if you would like to do that, I'd, I'd be happy to follow that up with my board saying, hey, there's, there's an opportunity to do a, a, a small little tiny retail business here on our property. Um, let's start that proposal process so anybody has an opportunity to bid, and, and then it would just go to the highest bidder. Well, I'm looking out my window, and there's already that business that's been there a month. Which one's that? Is that sometimes people set up on our property and, and do things that we're not aware of. Or there in the, in the, the sea cargo container been there for a month. It's now been moved from the uh, right away on the Highway 18 by UDOT. They said, get it out of here. So they moved it over onto yours. Oh. And so um, I 
it, I think it's totally inappropriate for it to be 24-7, yeah. and uh, there's some problems with uh, the kind of stuff that's going on there. And uh, I, I talked to this, I didn't get a chance to talk to you because, you know, you were in a meeting again, right, and, and traveling all over, and that's, that's part of your job. But they told me that the fence line was exactly uh, on the uh, property boundary. It turns out if these previous surveyors and their previous fences were wrong, it appears that there's 40 feet there and that um, uh, setting up with, I'm I'm sure these folks didn't get permission from you because uh, you didn't give me permission, so I suspect you wouldn't give them permission either. No, and, and I, I will send somebody up there to take a look at that. Um, it's not unusual for people to do things on our property that we don't approve of, and, and so I can send somebody up there to take a look at it. Um, I, I will say the right-of-way in that specific area is quite wide, um, and, and that's one of the reasons why the fence was built what it was. From my understanding is that when that fence was built, we actually went up and had it surveyed, and then that cer- on, on the right-of-way side, we actually put that fence line right along the right-of-way portion of it and so our the water district's land should be fenced um but i'll i'll send somebody up to make sure that they're not on our property awesome all right let's go to line two hey thanks for calling in today this is i believe don don are you there i'm here sir yeah go uh, ahead no i actually uh i want to thank counselor rents from the he's he's actually one of the most uh sober and uh most equipped people i know that we can have running the water district because of his background i mean uh I, I actually I think he's a very humble man, and I appreciate that. Yeah, but he just, I, I, he just I, patted himself on the back, though, Don. So I, you need to take well, some I, of that. Well, out thanks, of that. Don. The thing is, I, I know he's cringy <laughs> because he doesn't like to hear it. But yeah, but but no, the the thing of it is, is uh, the the Lake Powell pipeline. I mean, I'm not opposed to it. I'm just thinking that there's there's other ways. I mean, it sounds like we're coming up with some more damming and and uh, finding more ways of creating a couple more lakes to take care of our own watershed, uh, so that we can you know, capture more of what comes down from the local mountains because, you know, we're, we're basically a tributary to the Colorado river, which, you know, winds up in the same water. And I understand about, you know, having a little bit more cross flow in, in those drought years in our local mountains, but I'm still liking the idea of, of putting some kind of dam at the, the mouth of the Santa Clara Canyon and kind of backfilling some of that. I mean, having a Santa Clara Lake would not be a bad thing. Um, I mean, we talked about some of the reasons why not, but I'm also looking at, what you actually have to do as far as environmental impact studies and, and things of that nature, crossing over Native American lands and other places to get a pipeline all the way from Lake Powell to St. George, um, it, it seems like a, a very daunting task and very costly compared to the cost of maybe building a you know a dam that would also act as a bridge for you know maybe a, a southern corridor. I mean, what are your thoughts on that, Zach? So there, my hands, I feel like I have my hands tied behind my back a lot of times based on the environmental and NEPA process. Um, so I could tell you there's, from an environmental standpoint in our current federal laws, the, the chances of dam, damming, putting a new dam on the Santa Clara River, um, you have about a 1 in 10 million chance. Um, wow. It's, it's very tough. I mean, even the reservoirs that we're building that are completely off stream, which essentially says, we're going to just pump the water up to a reservoir that's not on any wash or any river. And, and we get, oh, I'm, not, I'm not supposed to swear on the radio, huh? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, you good. It, it, it is very, very difficult. And so, you, so from an engineering standpoint, you're exactly right. Um, I'm placing a dam in, in certain locations on the Santa Clara River. 
would be fairly direct, easy to do. Um, but from an environmental standpoint, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a one in ten million chance that, that that we would be able to do that because of all the new restrictions. So yeah, you're, well, but from engineering, that, you're I mean, correct. From the uh, from that aspect, also, how are we ever going to get a, a pipeline from Lake Powell to St. George if that be the case as well? So dams have earned a new swear word essentially in this this community. And when I say community, the United States people are, are very opposed to new reservoirs. And so that's so that's why we have to build them off stream now. So like with the Tokerville Reservoir, um, we're finishing up the permit for that, and so we'll start that. But if you go and look at where the Tokerville Reservoir is, there's not a wash already going through that. Um, the nice yeah. thing with the Lake Powell Pipeline is we're not building any new reservoirs. We're tapping into an existing reservoir, and then we're flowing the water into Sand Hollow, which is an existing reservoir that's actually off stream also. Hmm. So with, and that's one of the things that's, that is very frustrating with the Lake Powell Pipeline is, you know, we're, we'll go out there, we'll, we'll dig a trench, we'll put the pipe in there, and we'll cover up with dirt, and we'll actually reseed over it. Within two or three years, the deer, the antelope, the whatever, they will never notice. Like from the environmental standpoint, it's very, very limited. Where a dam, I, I will have to say, has, has a bigger effect. Sure. Yeah. But from engineering, yeah, I'd love to build some more dams. I'd love... Uh, there's one. There's a couple spots in the Virgin River that I think would be great to build a dam, and and I, I, I don't. Well, I know why they didn't build it years and years ago, but it would be nice to have today. Okay, I got to jump in and get a weather break in here. We're talking with Zach Renstrom, and we're not talking. Well, we're talking to Carrie, but she's not talking back over <laughs> here with the Washington County Water Conservancy District. We'll get a weather check and be uh, right back with uh, more with Zach after this. We're interactive at the Andy Griffin Show. Call in now at 673-5890. Text in at 435-467-5842. Email at agriffin at cherrycreekmedia.com. Let your voice be heard on the Andy Griffin Show. That's me. I'm Andy Griffin. Thanks for tuning in today. Love to have experts on the show. And uh, I've, I've said it many times. Uh, I don't know a ton of things. I know some things, but I don't know a ton of things. And so I like to get guys on that know stuff. And Zach Renstrom is one of those guys. Zach, thanks for coming on today, man. Ah, it's good. It's great to be here. You know stuff. I like guys that know stuff. Uh, you know about water, of course. Uh, what do you know about climate? And, and, and specifically, I'm talking about we're in a drought. Um the, this planet we live in goes through a lot of cycles and, and things and even specific ge- geographic locations. Uh, I have a lot of people tell me, hey, this is a sign. The whole world's going to be in drought <laughs> very soon. And I, I don't, I'm not buying that, Zach. But I, I don't want to maybe necessarily get your political position on this. But tell us a little bit about why we're having a drought right now. So we don't necessarily get into that. I mean, I, I go and I, 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 when I go to these conferences, there's always somebody there that's there to talk about the climate. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I try to learn about what's going on. Um, so I, I wouldn't take a position on what is causing the current uh, situation that's going on, whether that's man-made or, or just the climate variability. I can tell you that there has been a lot of variability. Um, so if we, of course, we have the written records where we go and we say, okay, this is how much was in, and, and then you can see it in somebody's journal, let's say, or journal entry. Uh, we have gone out, and I say we, the scientific community has gone out, and they actually look at the tree rings, Mm-hmm. And, and based on those tree rings, they can have a good idea on how much water was available in a particular year. If you look at those dry rings, you're absolutely correct. There is a lot of ups and downs, and, mm-hmm. and sometimes for long periods of time. And from those tree rings, we have seen really substantial droughts going back almost a 1,000 years. 
And so there's a lot of variability. Um, I'm not going to predict what's going to happen in the future. I just, I just kind of prepare for the worst and then hope for the best. Right. But there's no question is there, there's variability. And, and next year we could have a really wet, I mean, I'm, I'm praying yeah. for a really wet. We all are. We yeah, all are. Thank you. I'm really hoping that we have a nice wet winter. I, hey, I figure I'll be in this job for maybe 20 years. I really hope for 20 wet years. Um, and I, 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 I truly believe that we will have some more wet years. Um, uh, yeah, but what, what specifically, why, why is it right now drier today? I, I couldn't tell you why. I, is it because of the variability or something like that? That's a really tough question. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I kind of agree with you. There's, there's variability. And even, there's a lot of variability even when you look way back in those old, old tree rings. All right, let's go to the phone line. Fred is on line one. Fred, how are you today? I'm doing great, and uh, thank you very much for taking my call. Um, I'm uh, I'm a geologist, and mm-hmm. I was wondering, uh, Zach, about, uh, and I have been wondering for quite some time, um, why we don't concentrate more on actually looking at the science of drilling for the deep carbonate aquifers in the West Desert. Uh, I've talked with other people about this and haven't got straight answers kind of like back and forth. I know that there's some legal stuff involved, but I do know that there was a lot of science that was put together by Harry Reid in, in Nevada over on the Nevada side along our border. And I was curious uh, as to why we couldn't utilize that U.S. geological science that all of us paid for to essentially look at things like uh, Upper Beaver Dam Wash, uh, areas where it goes into Utah and that where we could not, we could use uh, sort of like a riparian right. I know that that's not the full right out here. It's, it's uh, more like uh, the other type. But I was wondering why we couldn't tap deep carbonate aquifers, and I realized that they can be 5,000 feet deep or 3,000 feet deep, usually around 3,000, something like that. But if you tapped several wells like that and capped them off and had those wells ready, you could actually put together deep carbonate aquifer water that has 10,000-year recharge capacities uh, available when the growth comes and as the growth comes, you could uncap those wells and bring fresh, clean water to St. George and to the area. So I was curious as to why we didn't do that, where the pipelines might be in the order of maybe 50 miles rather than like hundreds and hundreds of miles from Lake Powell, which is having a lot of trouble right now in keeping their levels. Yeah, so there's there's the two areas of our county that I think that has been studied most from a geological standpoint is, of course, Zions National Park, just because of the attention. And the other part is the West Desert out there. And, and a lot of that actually has to do with the, the gold mining that has occurred out there uh, and, and will most likely occur out there again. There's a, there's a firm right now out of Canada that's uh, basically making Swiss trees of the land out there in the West Desert. And, and they're actually specifically trying to find water. Um, in there, and so they're they're drilling some some quite deep wells. Um, I, I can't tell you off the top of my head how deep it is, but I know they're actively out there drilling right now as we speak for 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 water, and and they've been going deep. There is no question about it out there at the Beaver Dam Wash. There is water there. Um, a couple of the ranches there have always reported good water out there. The question is is, is how much, 
and, and what's the transmissivity of it coming in. And, you know, based on the wells that have been drilled out there, there is some water out there, but it comes back to the quantity of water. Um, how much can we take out of there at, uh, every year reliable? And, of course, you know, I, I don't determine that. We, we go out and I hire geologists also, and, and they go out and, and they come out with estimates. And so if, if it got to the point where we could go out, we could condemn some of the ranches out there and take their water rights or, or try to purchase them if we don't have to condemn them and, and try to get some of that water in there. Um, and, and right now, from an engineering standpoint, there isn't enough information out there to just simply go out there and drill there out there. If the, the mining company that's out there right now drilling the very deep wells, um, they've been very, very good about keeping us in the loop and talking to us and, and, and giving us their feedback about what they're finding out there. And, and if they drill and deep and, and hit that gusher, um, they've already said that they will definitely work with us on it. But I'm going to let them continue to drill those, those deep wells. Is that the gold strike? Yeah, well, it's the gold strike. But they, they've gone out there and um, they've, you have gold strike that's, has been mined out there before, but they're extending past that. And, and they've actually tied up a, a huge chunk of uh, mining rights out there. And so they're expanding this big thing. It's a company that basically comes in, does all the research, drills all the holes, and then they sell that information to an actual mining company. And, and that's how they work. And so uh, I've been out on site with them multiple times, and, and they've actually had a lot of discussions with us about water because that's, that's their biggest problem that they're having out there with that mine is, is the availability of water and where they're going to get it. Yeah. And so these are, these are all uh, exploration water rights, right? I mean, the exploration holes. In other words, they're not water rights. They're exploration holes, right? Right now, yes. So th- what they're hoping to do is do two things. Either go and, and find a really high-producing well, some location, and then either go to those existing water right holders out there and, and lease that water from them if, if the state requires that. But if they can find a deep enough well or, or what you're kind of talking about, um, going to the Utah State uh, engineer and saying, hey, this water is different than this water and it's from a new source and, and apply for some new water rights. The, the, the burden would be upon them to prove that they wouldn't affect those farmers out there. But I'll, that's kind of when I said I'm continuing to learn and I, I hope to always continue to learn. I'm, I'm watching that very closely because I'm very curious what they've been finding out there. Um, they tell me there's a lot of gold out there, believe it or not. They're, they're estimating in the billions of dollars. But right now when we talk to them, their biggest problem is actually finding water out there. To, to the point, right. they, they've actually came to us and said, could we run a line to gun, gun lock and actually pump it over to the mine? Oh, wow. Because they're having such a hard time finding water out there. But we'll see where they, they end up with. Okay. All but right. Great question. Yeah. Yeah, thank, thanks yeah. for the call. I really appreciate that. Um, Zach, i got to get another commercial break yep. in. Uh, you were, both of you guys were over my head just now. So <laughs> not literally, but figuratively. So uh, how deep were those wells? You said you didn't quite know how, how deep they were, they were checking. Well, most of the wells are fairly shallow that they're looking for for the gold because you can't mine too deep. Right. But the ones for water, they're going deep. Thousand, so I, yeah, two thousand, over thousands of feet. Wow. Okay. So. All right. Thanks, Zach. All right. Let's do a commercial break real quick. Uh, uh, Joe Shoney is a loan consultant. His specialty is customer service. Uh, Joe has said, "All right, let's go online. You guys just write reviews about me, and and we'll take what comes." Uh, so you go to newamericanfunding.com, read the reviews. Five hundred 
39 reviews now, and the average score is 4.96 out of 5. So that's almost a perfect score. Uh, this one from Melanie says, communication was great. We always knew the status of our loan process. you got to love that. Uh, Mark says, this is my second refinance through Joe, and he is great. He makes the process very easy. And uh, how about these two words? Stress-free. I love that. Uh, give Joe Shoney a call today. He can help you out. It's a home loan, a refi, whatever it is you might need. It's Joe Shoney at New American Finance. Phone number is 435-590-6300. This is America for crying out loud. Traditional, conservative, capitalistic. Let's band together and melt the snowflakes on The Andy Griffin Show. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Radio 890. 94.9 KDXU, Southern Utah's News Talk Leader. Back here live from the Camping World of St. George Studios, I'm Andy Griffin. Uh, real quick note before we bring Zach back in, there is a protest tonight on the campus at Dixie State, 7 o'clock. Uh, keep the name protest. This is kind of cool, folks. Uh, we've talked a lot with DSUHC. Of course, they're the ones that want to keep the Dixie name. This protest was not organized by them. This was organized by students of Dixie State University that said, hey, we don't like the new name either. And, uh, so, and, and what they did is they organized a protest. They have a lot of people. Of course, it's summertime, so not as many students here as there would be normally. Uh, but And then they actually called the DSUHC people, the D- uh, Defending Southwest Utah Heritage Coalition, they actually called them and said, hey, will you co- come to, to our protest? I think that's pretty cool. Of course, we've made, made it very clear on this show that we don't think the Dixie name should be taken away from our university here in town. So I won't make Zach make a <laughs> statement on this because it's not his, well, his, his fight. But uh, I know where my daughter will be tonight because she's pretty passionate about this issue. Right, so I know where she'll be. Yeah, my kids are all moved out now, but they would they would be there too. In fact, my my son, my oldest son, uh, who got his associates at Dixie, is uh, very very proud of his heritage and of the mm. Dixie name, and uh, he's he's it's killing him that he's he's been up in Washington State all summer. It's killing him that he can't be here and help help fight for the Dixie name. So. Anyway, yeah, that protest is 7 o'clock tonight on campus. They want you to meet by the clock tower by 7 o'clock. Uh, and uh, they did ask one thing. Please tell everyone to be respectful. No name calling. No, you know, oust biff or any of that stuff. Don't, don't, there's no need for that. Just say, hey, we, we love the Dixie name. We want to keep the Dixie name. So let's be classy about it, huh? Uh, Zach Renstrom, Washington County Water Conservancy District, uh, is with me here today. We're talking a little about uh, about the drought levels and the fact that uh, we are... Uh, I guess we call it unprecedented, mm-hmm. uh, or as my colleague over on ESPN said, unprecedented. Uh, but no, he said that once. But um, but uh, this we're seeing drought levels we have never ever seen before. We talked about it early in the show, but um, okay. So what do we need to do? And I, I know I you know sprinkler we're going to going to sprinkler at certain yeah. times and stuff like that. But uh, beyond that, we know conserve water. Are there is there anything else, citizens, what that I you and I can do? So, honestly, it, it kind of goes back to what we've been saying a lot. So, inside your home, mm-hmm. we know the number one waste of water inside a home is leaks. And, and so, just mm-hmm. go through your home and, and check for leaks. Um, sometimes uh, it's the, the lateral meaning between the water meter and the house. There's a lot of leaks that we can get found there. So, inside, leaks. On the outside, um, if you have, you know, your traditional landscaping, you water when you're supposed to, to during certain hours of the day. Um, really try to reduce how much you water. Uh, just small things like uh, like with lawn, if you raise the, the height on your mower, that actually can save quite a bit of water because the longer the grass is, the less water it needs. Hmm. If you're going to build a new home 
or you know re retrofit your old landscaping we just ask that you put in a very wise water uh, yard and, and look at what you can do to make it as water efficient as possible whether that's uh, zero scaping uh, certain types of grass are better than others or one thing that's actually starting to grow quite uh, popular is just artificial turf um, yeah. a lot of people are starting to do it. it looks a lot better than it used to and and so i've noticed a lot of people actually approaching us asking questions about that too and that that's wonderful because it's still hot. We have some in my yard, but it's yeah. still hot. But it does it does look really good. Yeah. Um, okay. My name's my name's Jim Bob, and I own, <laughs> I have a I have a, a house. I have a three thousand square foot house, and I have a huge front lawn full of grass. Right. Should I go tear it out, Zach? So I'm not asking anybody to tear out their lawn right now. So if they have an existing landscaping, two things: if they are planning to do landscaping, like rip it all out, I'd say wait till the fall. Because if you rip it all out and then you want to plant new plants, um, right now to introduce new plants in a very hot climate takes a lot of water. So wait till the fall to do anything with your landscaping. Um, you could dry it out and then, you know, plant it. If you have existing lawn that you want to keep, then I just say let's, let's use, it, the, use the water that you're receiving the most efficient way and wise possible way. And so that's where you raise your lawn more to a couple of notches. You water uh, at the recommended time so you're not burning up you're just not evaporating most of the water and and just use it wisely from that point and and it's okay to have your lawn be a little bit longer it's it's yeah. there's nothing wrong with it i know it drives my wife crazy and i thought honey let it grow a little yeah. bit and she's like oh, i got a mow. I'm like, no you you tell her that i told you to make it longer okay. and then you, okay. you can get okay. out some mowing it should be at least be as long as that artificial turf we have because that's pretty long stuff yeah. too you know yeah. right right now so um okay uh as far as trees, I know we've talked about it, <clears throat> excuse me, a little bit in the past. Trees are actually really good, right, Zach? I mean, if you have a lot of trees, that's a good thing. Yeah, so you, you, the problem with just conservation and ripping out landscaping is you actually have a heat island effect. And communities that have said, we're just ripping out all the landscaping, they've realized that was a huge colossal mistake because what happens is their ambient temperature actually goes up. Well, so you can take the grass out, and then if you replace that with a good tree, then you don't get that ambient and, and a good tree does two things. First of all, it, it can use less water. And number two is it's, it has more, it, it can take a, a drought a little bit better than, a, than, let's say, grass. If you don't water grass, like if you go seven days, that, that grass will be, you know, it'll look pretty bad. But with a tree, you can do a few things to it, especially if you plant the correct tree, too. Now, <clears throat> if grass gets yellow, it's dead, right? I, I, no, I need to give up on it. No, it's, it's, most of the time it's that showing it's going dormant. Okay. And so here, there's two types of grass. They, they, they have warm grass or cold grass. And so let's say a rye grass, that does better in the winter months, but in the summer months, it, it goes yellow. It, it either goes dormant or dries out. Where Bermuda, um, which is a very hardy grass, that does great in the summer, but then it, it turns brown in the winter. And so if you're really sophisticated, uh, some people plant Bermuda for the summer months, and then they'll plant rye for the winter months, so they kind of have a little bit more green grass all the time. Okay. I'm too lazy to do that. I just yeah. plant Bermuda and let it go dormant in the winter. Okay. And and let's get the final word on watering with a lawn. How long and what time is the best uh, to keep the lawn alive? So there's some variabilities there based on the type of lawn. So like I have Bermuda, so I can go as little as two times a week. You have certain lawns, you have to do a little bit more. So I think the best thing they could do is just call the water district, and we will actually come out and do a water audit on their lawn. For free. For free. You'll come to my yeah. house and tell me what's best. Yeah, and they put these little cumps out on your lawn, and they turn on the sprinklers, and then they look at what type of lawn you have, and they will actually give you recommendations on, on how you the best way to water and to keep your lawn looking fairly good. Um, but generally what we're doing right now is about 
three to four times a week. Um, do the soak and cycle methods. Basically, you turn the sprinklers on, um, then you turn them off, wait for about a half hour, and then you flip them on again for a little bit. And so you let that water, you don't want water running off the, off no. the grass. And so no. that's why you turn them on, soak it a little bit, let that water soak into the ground and turn it off, and then you turn it back on. So that's what I encourage people to do. If they go to our website, um, WC, WCD.org. Perfect, great. Yeah. Uh, there's some great information on that website about there how really you should is. it. Yeah, I was just there this morning, as a matter oh, of fact. So, uh, all right, uh, we've got about a minute and a half. Uh, Wayne, what's up, Wayne? Yes, uh, years ago there was uh, uh, a proposal to put a uh, reservoir up, Beaver Dam Wash. I know it got canceled when uh, that put in, got put into wilderness. They ought to try to get it back out of wilderness and put a reservoir in there. The the uh, floods in uh, 2005 wiped out the breached the dam at Beaver Dam State Park, and it was taken out in about 2007, I think. So there is nothing, no reservoir on that wash, and I think the reservoir could probably be put in high enough so it could be piped right by the foot of Gold Strike, and they could probably sell the water to Gold Strike on the way to Gunlock or whatever. Uh, what about that? What thoughts, Zach? I, I love the idea. And it was actually on the water district's plan to put a reservoir out there and, and do exactly what you're saying, to take the, those high water years and store it for droughts. Um, and Congress came in and, and took that away from us pretty quick. Um, and if, if you can get Congress to do that, I will give you the biggest hug in the whole world. <laughs> I would love to do it. I really would. And, and some veil pie. And some veil pie, yes. All right, Zach, we're pretty much out of time. Thanks so much for coming in today. It goes so fast, doesn't it? It does. It's zoom, and, and it's over with. But thanks for coming in. Uh, it's right now, believe it or not, this is the hottest topic in St. George. Even more than Dixie name is the fact that we don't have water. And so I'm sure you get accosted all the time on it. I do. So That's good, though. Thank you, Zach. Appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, just a quick note as we head into the uh, Clay Travis Buck Sexton show starts in uh, about to six minutes. It's a new program replacing the Rush Limbaugh show. We'd love to hear your thoughts on it. You can text me at 435-467-5842. You can email me, agriffin at cherrycreekmedia.com. It's Sexton and Travis. I'd uh, like to hear your thoughts. I think they're doing a pretty good job, and we'll see, uh, we'll see what you think. Uh, let us know.